If you want to uh, make your way toward your seats, while you get while you get situated, I just I want to mention uh, an opportunity, and that's that Tuesday night is Halloween, and if you if you don't have your own children that you're taking trick or treating, or you don't have uh, something else that you feel you know obligated to to do, or that you're going to be a part of. We have a ministry here called A to J, which they essentially over by Ridgeview Elementary School, actually in Ridgeview Elementary School, they put on uh, Sunday school every week, and uh, they invite the kids from that neighborhood to come and to be a part of that. And one of the ways that we're seeking just to continue to build relationships and get to know the families that live in that neighborhood is that they're doing a trunk or treat on Tuesday night. And there's been an opportunity to donate candy, which you could still do, but they also need some more trunks of people who'd be willing to come and spend like an hour and a half that night there at Ridgeview Elementary School handing out candy to the children that live there in that neighborhood. <coughs> in that neighborhood. So if you're able to, uh, we would really, really appreciate that. You can get more information, all the final details and stuff out at the Kids Point Welcome Center there. They would, they would love to have you if you're able to. So I just want to make that uh, offer to you. It's a, a great way that our church and that particular ministry here within our church is building relationships with a very specific community here in Liberty. So I uh, encourage you to take part in that if you have the availability to do so. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Philippians today, the letter of Philippians. So if you have a Bible and you want to open up uh, to the letter of Philippians. I want to give you, while you do that, kind of a life experience to hold in your head while we talk this morning. And that is, uh, if you're someone who wears glasses or contacts, then you will resonate with this experience that happens at the eye doctor. You go in, they do all the stuff to determine that, yes, you do need glasses or you do, in fact, still need the glasses that you're wearing. And then you start to play this game, which is clearer. One or two? Two or three? Three or one? And at a certain point, you're trying to answer the question, like, which is clearer, 27 or 14? And all you've been doing for, like, the last few minutes is trying to differentiate between what feels like fractional differences of fuzziness on the very edges of letters on that metal machine that I learned is called a ferometer. Uh, that they bring back and, and saddle you with there for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden what happens is, you know, number 84 pops up there and it is like perfect clarity. And you're, and you're thinking to yourself, that's it. That's the, I'm pretty sure that's the glasses I currently wear, but that <laughs> is the one that makes it so that I can read those letters really, really well. And so then you play the game just to double check, 84 or 17. 84, and it's 84. I'm telling you, that is the one that's really clear. Maybe you don't wear glasses and you've never had that experience. I thought of another way to relate this. You and someone, some group of people or your spouse are trying to figure out where you want to go to dinner and you know that your stomach is dreaming of a particular thing and as you're listing off various options, like none of it's really meeting the imagination of your, of your stomach, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden somebody says it, Chipotle. And you realize, yes, that is exactly the thing that's going to fill the deepest longings of my hunger. And you don't need more restaurant options at that point. You have landed on the one that there's been this like flash of clarity and that's where we're going. That kind of crystal clear 
moment is the thing I want you to hold in your mind as we work our way through Philippians. What, what Paul is going to talk about this morning is joy, but it's really something deeper than that. It's about identity. And the letter of Philippians uh, is one that I think we just associate with, and rightly so, Paul's call for Christians to be joyful in all circumstances. But there's something that lays at the root of that that makes it possible. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into Philippians. God, thank you for the opportunity to come into worship. God, thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. Uh, God, I pray that your spirit would move here and take the truth of your word and just press it into our hearts. God, I pray that uh, we would make much of the gospel here this morning, Lord, that to our hearts and our minds, that the reality of Jesus and his work on the cross would be very clear to us. God, I pray that when we go from here, um, Lord, we would take with us an encouragement, a challenge, a conviction from your spirit about what it looks like to walk more closely in relationship with you, what it looks like to follow Christ uh, with all of who we are. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Philippians, uh, the letter, is uh, it's actually written from Paul to a church in a city called Philippi while Paul is in prison. He had planted the church at Philippi about 10 years previous to this letter. Uh, and the story of that taking place is actually found in Acts chapter 16. If you're joining us this morning, maybe for the first time, or you've come a couple of times, what, we're, what we've been doing over the course of 2017 is walking through the large narrative of Scripture, Genesis, all the way through Revelation. We're... 10 full months into that now. And we've recently been anchoring ourselves in the book of Acts. And as it makes sense to insert some of these epistles into that narrative of the early church, we've been doing so. And so this morning, actually this week, we're going to read Galatians and Philippians. I'm going to talk about Philippians this morning in a more holistic way than, than maybe I've been doing over the last few weeks. We're just going to look at the, the overall theme of the book of Philippians and the way it plays itself out as Paul writes it. Uh, just some general context. Philippi, the city, is in what is modern-day Greece. It was actually the first all-Gentile church in Europe. And Paul and Timothy, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas had wanted to actually go to Asia to continue doing their evangelistic missionary uh, work in Asia, but God closed the doors for them to be able to do that and instead opened the way for them to go to Europe. And Philippi, the first church there in Europe that they plant, would become this very important kind of launching ground for the rest of their ministry in Europe in the early church. And so this certainly isn't the main point of this morning's message, but I do think it's at least worth pointing out and mentioning as an aside. And that's that oftentimes God will close doors in your life in order to stop you from pursuing your plan and move you toward getting on board with his. And what we do when that happens, typically, I know this from personal experience, is that we get very frustrated that my plan just got interrupted. This is the thing that I wanted to do that I was pretty certain was what God wanted me to do. And now I feel like I'm confused because I feel like God is stopping me from pursuing that thing. We don't ever really turn our eyes toward what might he be opening the doors for me to do instead. God closed the doors for Paul and Barnabas to go and continue their mission efforts in Asia, but he flung them wide open 
not just to go to one city in Europe, but for the gospel to begin to really take root in Europe and in that kind of Western section of what was the Roman Empire at the time. Ultimately, Paul is going to make his way all the way to the city of Rome, which was like the center of the world at that time. And so if you're waiting for there to be these like seemingly perfect circumstances, according to your mind and your plan, by which you will then serve or get on board with what God is wanting to do in and through your life, you will wait forever. Because all you are ever going to have in this life are imperfect circumstances. They're probably never going to look exactly the way you want them to. They're probably not ever going to drop into your lap as easily and perfectly as you dream them up to be. Instead, they're going to look different than you wanted them to. At times, it will be a complete closing off of what you thought the Lord wanted you to pursue. But I promise you that somewhere he's flinging open doors for you to be able to walk through in humble obedience to him, which is exactly what Paul and Barnabas do. And because of that, the gospel begins to explode in Europe. Ten years after that, Paul finds himself in prison and he writes a letter back to the church at Philippi. And the reason he writes the letter is because they have communicated with him some sort of concern over what does it mean for the gospel or what does it mean for us as a church or for you personally that now you're in prison and we don't really know what to do. And so Paul writes in response to that. That's actually how all the letters of the New Testament work. They're a piece of what was back and forth communication. In fact, a lot of the letters in the New Testament actually mention explicitly the previous communication that's taken place. You wrote to me, dot, 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 and Paul is responding. Or in my previous letter, and we don't have the previous letter, but we do have what God inspired as scripture in 1 Corinthians or in Ephesians or in Galatians or whatever the case might be. So Paul writes a letter back to them in order to assure them and kind of calm their fears in regard to his imprisonment. But he pushes way beneath just the surface of saying, I'm okay, and you're going to be okay too. In fact, what he does is he picks up on what he perceives as a heart issue within the Philippian church, and he just begins to kind of needle around on that. And it's all based on questions of identity and confidence and joy. Uh, important before we... we move on, and before you read Philippians over the course of this week, joy and happiness are not the same thing. It's not that Paul is saying that in all circumstances you should just be happy. No, there are going, we all know experientially, there are going to be things in life that are not pleasant to experience, where happiness feels like the furthest possible away emotion that you could ever even imagine in the moment. But it is still possible to have joy there. A pervasive, deep, profound sense of joy, even if happiness doesn't seem possible in the moment. And Paul says, that comes from one place, that our identity and joy are not found in temporarily comfortable circumstances, but in eternal communion with Christ. That is the primary message of the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians. Scripture lays out that truth kind of theologically in a lot of different places, but Paul's life gives us a very clear picture of that truth. And he actually uses this letter to draw that out. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk our way through a few different passages here to see the way Paul plays out where our identity is found and where it is not found. 
and then we'll kind of apply that to our modern circumstances here. But what I want you to do uh, right now is a little bit of uh, audience participation, group work here. I want you to look to someone seated near you who's not your family member or spouse. Find someone. And I, I want you to describe yourself to them, kind of introduce yourself to them in only four words. That's how many words you get. Four words to introduce yourself to someone sitting near you. Ready, set, go. I've heard certain voices enough to know that you've all used more than four words. (laughs) What we're going to do is we're going to start by just looking at the first two verses of Philippians. And every one of Paul's letters includes a greeting that's somewhat like this. And most of the time we just kind of skip over it. But I think they're all pretty instructive. And so this is the way Paul begins his letter to the church of Philippi. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The order of this matters. Paul introduces himself and his traveling partner, Timothy. And Paul's got a previous relationship with the church at Philippi, but he probably doesn't know everybody there, and everybody there probably doesn't know him. So he gives a very brief description. Paul and Timothy... Four words, servants of Christ Jesus, nothing else. No qualifiers needed to that, no additions needed to it. That is who we are. Paul and Timothy, we are servants of Christ Jesus and everything else pales so far in comparison that it's not even worth mentioning to Paul. Short and sweet, servants of Christ Jesus. But then he addresses this church to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. The order of that is important. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that's who we are to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And there's something that comes after that who are at Philippi. It's not that you can't have anything after the fact that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a Christian, but it is that that should absolutely come first. And I don't just mean that if we redid the four-word introduction thing to the people around you, you would just say the right thing the first time. I don't mean that you would just kind of rote memory say, oh yeah, I'm supposed to say that I'm a Christian. So my name's Tim. That was three. That was actually four. So I ruined it. But you would say, Christian. That's not even it. It's that at the core of who you are, from your heart, first and foremost, servant of Christ Jesus, Christian, 
saved by Jesus Christ. However you would want to articulate that. However you would want to word that. I think that matters. In fact, it's going to set up all the rest of this letter that Paul writes to this church. You are in Christ, first and foremost. In the same way that that's the definitive adjective for who Paul and Timothy are, that is the definitive adjective for who this church is. He's introduced himself, then he gives this subtle reminder about how they should view themselves, how we should view ourselves. And Paul's going to go on and he's going to talk about his identity and joy and confidence. He's going to try to help the Philippians understand their identity and joy and confidence. And 2,000 years later, he's going to spell out what should be our identity, joy, and confidence. And that's that first and foremost, as believers, our identity rests in Christ. You absolutely can tag some other words behind that. It's not wrong to put 10 other descriptors after that. There's nothing inherently bad about any word that you would use to describe who you are, so long as you don't get them in front of or before your identity in Jesus Christ. It's when we do that that we get ourselves all out of balance. I'm going to show you how Paul walks through that with the Philippians. He then says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like a, a short little well-wishing that comes on the front of every single one of these letters. But that peace is only going to come from the identity being correct. And so Paul's going to go on to say where identity and joy and confidence are found. So if you'll jump down with me to verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. All of that, love, knowledge, discernment, the ability to discern what's good and what's not, a purity and a, a growing righteousness, where does that come from? Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Paul prays. I want you to, all of these things, I want you to have this abounding love for one another. I want you to be growing in righteousness. I want you to be able to discern what is good and what is not. I want you to be pure and blameless in the way that you live your life. But all of that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's the only place that that's found. You can't muster that up from anywhere else. Because your identity is in Jesus and in Jesus alone, you can have confidence that those things would be growing inside of you. You have this foundation that's unshakable, that nothing could ever happen in your life or around your life that would cause that bubble to pop, if you will. It can't be done. And pervasive, profound joy comes from an identity that's built on that truth. It comes from Jesus Christ and from nowhere else. And in case they had forgotten or we have forgotten exactly what that means, Paul spells it out in what, of, what is one of the most recognizable passages from the book of Philippians, but also one of the most beautiful early church hymns that's ever been recorded. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That is where your identity is found. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it is nowhere else. And every time you get tempted to chase down a rabbit trail of something else, of building your worth and your value and who you are on something different, you are to remind yourself that Jesus Christ became flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in your place, so that by faith in him, you would have eternal communion with the Lord. Whatever else you might want to chase to try to stake your identity on, it cannot provide that thing for you. And ultimately, it is going to burst at some point. It is this balloon that's like overfilled. It's a rubber band that's stretched too far. And at some point, it's going to snap. At some point, it's going to pop. Paul takes all of Philippians 1 and and a good chunk of, of Philippians 2 and 3 to say, yes, I am in prison. I'm not denying that. I'm not downplaying that reality but it does not change who I am because my identity is built on the gospel. It's built on the reality that Jesus Christ became flesh and that through him I have been forgiven in the sight of the Lord and I'm going to spend eternity there. He goes on at the early part of chapter three and spells out exactly where his joy and his identity are not found. If you'll flip over to Philippians three, verses one to six. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are, this is a reminder, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We've been brought into the family of God. We worship by His Spirit. We glory in Christ Jesus. And then he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no identity in something else. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's his list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. It's a non-exhaustive list of the places where your identity is not found. And what I want to do is I want to take those examples that Paul gives, I want to put them into modern language so they make sense to us. So he walks through uh, like five things here for himself. There are certainly more of these, which I'll touch on in a second. But the first one he says is that I was circumcised on the eighth day. I don't, Paul says, I put no confidence in the fact that my family's history is a good one. They were obedient Jewish parents. They circumcised me at the right time. They were faithful to the things that they were supposed to do. There's no reason to put my identity in that. No confidence there. He goes on and he says that he's of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's not staking his worth or his identity on his national or ethnic heritage. 
there was great pride for the Israelite people in being Israelite. And that's not entirely misplaced. They were chosen by God. God chose Abraham out of his own grace by which his family line was going to be the blessing to all the nations of the earth. And that was a wonderful thing. But the beauty of that is not in the fact that I'm Israelite. It's in the fact that God chose me and I didn't do anything to deserve it. Their kind of national pride had given them uh, like a sense of greater than everyone else. You're not an Israelite. You're less than us. You need to become an Israelite and then God could probably love you. You need to be circumcised. That's what we talked about last week. It's not true. Salvation, favor in the sight of the Lord is by grace through faith. That, that is the only thing. So there's no pride there, Paul says. Then he goes on, as to the law, a Pharisee. That's about his status or his kind of career, if you will. He had ascended the ladder to the highest place within Jewish religion at the time. He was all the way at the top. Paul says, if I've got something I could brag about, there's one. I've, I've reached the pinnacle of what it means to be a Jewish individual. But he won't do that. He won't stake his worth there either. Then he goes on, he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That's kind of his own personal history. I was doing everything I could to stop this whole Jesus thing. I was such a faithful Jewish person that I was trying to put an end to the message of Christ. And then he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There's no religious performance that leads him to, to say, this is who I am. That's my identity. That's where my joy is found. That's where my confidence is found. Not true, Paul says. In fact, I want to come at these from two sides. You might be in here this morning and you might think that you've staked your identity on something in that list or something outside of that list. Material possessions, money, the achievements of your children, relationship status some idea of power in some realm or facet of your life. And you get your, your soul so entangled with that thing. You get your sense of who you are so wrapped up in that thing that what you need is freedom from that. In Christ, there's freedom from the future exhaustion of pursuing a faulty identity. Let's just take one example. Let's use the achievement of your children. If you're a parent in here, I think you can probably resonate with some of the exhaustion that comes from trying to do all you can to make sure that your children are as successful as, po- as possible at one particular thing. You go to all the practices, all the study sessions, all the rehearsals, all the stuff, and you're just trying, you're doing everything that you can, and it's a loving thing, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to see your children succeed. That is a good thing. When it becomes a problem is when you think that your worth is tied to their achievement. That who you are as an individual, as a man or a woman, as as a unit of parents, is tied to what that child ultimately does. Because what's going to happen? There's a ceiling for everyone, right? There's only one LeBron James. There's only one Tom Brady who do their thing at the highest possible level. Everybody else falls on a long spectrum that goes from a little bit less than that to a whole lot less than that in whatever field it is. And if your worth and your value as a parent is wrapped up in what they might achieve, they're going to hit the ceiling and you're going to start to question whether or not you did enough, you were enough, did I try hard enough, did I take them to all the right stuff. 
that identity is going to explode somewhere. And it will, you will become the collateral damage. It will absolutely take you with it. The same could be true of your career path. The same could be true of, you know, if you're a student pursuing perfect grades and going to college and, and certain academic achievements or whatever the case might be. There's a limit to those things, and it is exhausting to pursue them. So when you see life through the truth of the gospel, there's a freedom that just releases you from that. I don't have to be tied to that anymore. But there's also one that works the other way, that in Christ there's freedom from the prior chains of a faulty identity. You may have something in your past that you think has just been tagged with you and you cannot shake it. Maybe it's a decision you made somewhere along the way in your own personal history that you feel like is this label that's attached to you. It's like wearing a scarlet letter. But the truth of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is that there's freedom from that as well. You've been released from that. You're no longer, you know, Tim Fritzen, giant screw up. There would be three of my four words. No, you're... Your name, servant of Christ Jesus, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Your identity has been freed from whatever that thing is that would weigh you down in the past. Positive or negative, Paul gives this list, and then this is what he has to say about them. Chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul goes so far as to say all of those things, all of those other possible false identities are rubbish. It's actually, the the word would be translated garbage. Compared to what? Compared to knowing Christ and being known by him. He counts all of those things a total loss in comparison to knowing Christ and being known by him, having my identity rooted there. And all of this like sounds well and good kind of intellectually. And it's actually easier for us to spot the problem in someone else than it is for us to identify it for us. Like we look at someone else and we think, gosh, that guy's really chasing the Joneses. I mean, they just, they're trying to stack up all the material stuff and that's got to be tiring or this family's really... They're, they're so over-involved. I mean, they're just running themselves ragged because they're hoping that maybe their child will fill in the blank or whatever the case might be. It's a lot harder to turn that lens inward and say, where do I have some of these? So I want to I give you a litmus test for that. I want to do so through the lens of my parents' dog. Growing up, my, uh, my family had this dog. We got it from my grandma. And as she got older, she got really persnickety in her old age. I mean, she was like a grump. And so we would try to placate her with treats. That seems good, right? So it's just like all the time. The dog's being grouchy, just throw her a milk bone, right? What would happen is she wouldn't want to eat it immediately. She would like carry it around and hide it in places. And then if you ever like went near her just to pet her or, you know, to pick her up, you, you didn't even know the treat was there. She would like hunker down over the top of that thing. And as you got closer and closer, she would get crouched down lower and lower and lower, and she would start growling louder and louder and louder. She's staring at the bone or the treat or whatever it is, and she's giving you this like grimacing kind of side-eye glance. I mean, it's like she was possessed. I mean, it was weird. <laughs> but, but the closer you got, the more she would do that. And heaven forbid, if you reached out and just even tried to pet her, you were getting bit. I mean, that's just the way it was. 
That's how you can tell if you've got an identity built on something other than Jesus. Because if something even looks like it might threaten it, all of your defense mechanisms go crazy. You want to crouch down over the top of that thing and protect it with everything that you have. Your bank account all of a sudden looks threatened. You know, spending freeze. Don't go to the grocery store. We'll eat grass today. <laughs> right? You're all, somebody else gets the promotion instead of you. And all of a sudden, your, your value is questioned. Your worth is questioned. And it's not just that, oh, man, I'm sad I didn't get the the promotion or whatever, it's that person didn't deserve it. And here are all the reasons why. And you know what? I think I'm going to leave the company. As soon as something threatens you, you go into all-out panic. Everything goes haywire. Here's another way you can tell. Does your pursuit of that identity cause you to sin? Acquiring more. Having a certain relationship status. Being, you know, fill in the blank thing. Does it normally put you into situations where you've either got to sin in order to pursue it or lay it down in order to pursue Jesus? And if the answer is, I have to sin and I do sin in order to pursue it, your identity is in the wrong place. You're finding your worth in something other than Jesus. And you've got to work to disentangle yourself from that. I believe very firmly that much of our sin arises from the pursuit of something outside of Jesus. We want an identity that's wrapped up in something different. Go back to the eye doctor with me. If you were to take all of the possible false identities that exist out there in the world, and there are many of them, and you were to line up the things that they promise right next to each other, and start to ask yourself, which brings me more joy? One or two? Two or three? Four or two? You would work your way down that line, and some of them might look okay, and you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, I could probably make that one work. It's like when the doctor shows you example number 19 at the eye doctor, and you think, you know what, that one looks pretty good, but maybe after a whole day I'd have a headache. If you were to line all of these up, you'd look at some of them and think, you know what, that one might be pretty good, but it might hurt me in the end until you arrived at the truth of the gospel. And all of a sudden, you would see with such clarity, that is who I am. That is where ultimate joy is found. That is where the confidence to face anything in life is found. And I don't even need to see the other ones anymore. I know they're faulty. I know they're ultimately going to let me down. All throughout Philippians, Paul talks about the results of getting these things right. Here are some of those. If you get your identity right, then you can rejoice over the reach of the gospel. Paul's in prison and he says, because of my chains, everyone within the palace guard knows that I'm here for the advancement of the gospel. And some have chosen to give their life to him. I can rejoice over that, Paul says. You can have certainty over your eternal future. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You've got to have a rock-solid identity on the gospel to say that even if I live, I'm going to portray Jesus every day from now until I die, at which point I will gain because I'll be in the presence of Jesus. That takes a certain identity that I, I don't think I've arrived, if I'm being honest, in that place yet. 
The certainty of that is unbelievable. You can rejoice in growth in Christ-likeness in yourself or in someone else, in unity in the church, in powerful gospel witness in the world around you, in perspective regarding your own trials in life. It leads you to a place of greater compassion and empathy. And the truth is, if what you're building your value and your worth and your life and your identity on doesn't lead you to rejoicing and joy in those things, it's not the gospel. It's something different. And it will ultimately fail you someday. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then first and foremost, as a believer, your identity rests in him, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he made himself nothing. Nothing became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there's your identity and your joy and your confidence, no matter your circumstances. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that other thing is going to fail you at some point. It simply cannot fulfill you. It simply cannot provide you joy in all circumstances. We're going to close our time together today by worshiping, and we're going to sing this song uh, in Christ alone, because in the bridge, I hope the bridge becomes true in our hearts, which is, I find my strength, I find my hope, I find my help in Christ alone. Let's sing.